Father in heaven, thank you, dear God, for the closing work in the sanctuary above. Thank you that you're bringing conviction, conversion, that you're not only giving grace to remove the guilt of sin, but the grip of sin. Father, we need you, and we pray that all of these weaknesses we have will be weaponized as a major terror against the kingdom of hell, because you are building your kingdom of broken things. For this we thank you, for this we praise you. Please heal us, rebuild us, and remake us in your image, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I guess I should use this. All right. So last night as I was thinking about uh, the definitions, the things we learned in class yesterday, I thought I, the, what came to my mind uh, is leprosy. Leprosy. You know, having been a runaway and started running away from home when I was five and then getting into drugs and bulimia for 20 years uh, by age 11. Uh, this, so I'm pretty familiar with being a train wreck. Uh, but don't you think the, that God is in the business of making messes into miracles? Amen. That's what he wants to do. And I want every weakness, whether it's heredity, genetics, whether it's stupid choices, I want it to be weaponized for the kingdom of God, turning every curse into a blessing. And I know that that's why you're here too. Uh, so sin is really like leprosy. Number one, it's isolating. Are addictions isolating? Yeah. They separate families. Do addictions separate families? And if left untreated, they become fatal. They become fatal. I'm going to share a quote with you today. It's actually several quotes, but uh, the Lord impressed my heart uh, of these beautiful promises. And they're found from a couple of sources, but it's just a short reading. Although a man, we could insert our own names or a loved one or a son or a daughter. Although a man may have sunk to the very depths of sin, there's a possibility of saving him. Many have lost the sense of eternal realities, lost the similitude of God. They hardly know whether they have souls to be saved or not. I have a message from the Lord for the tempted soul who's been under the control of Satan, but who is striving to break free. Go to the Lord for help. Go to those who you know love and fear God and say, take me under your care. So does this sound like a process? Take me under your care, for Satan tempts me fiercely. I have no power from the snare to go. Keep me with you every moment until I have more strength to resist temptation. Perseverance is a miracle in a brown wrapper. That's what we all need. Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will set free the captive that is held by weakness and misfortune and the chains of sin. He has promises. He has power. But he has a plan, and that's what Angie's classes are all about. Angels are helping in this work to restore the fallen and bring them back to the one who has given his life to redeem them. The Holy Spirit is cooperating with the ministry of human agencies. Is that you? To arouse the moral powers by working on the heart. So there's a moral fall here. There's a physical fall. There's, there's decay and destruction and brokenness of every stripe, but none of it is too strong for our conquering Savior. When you surrender yourself entirely to God, when you fall all broken on Jesus, you will be rewarded by a victory, the joy of which you have never yet experienced. Amen. How many of you would like to have that in your life every day? It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And let's not forget this, that it's a process. And it's not what you get when you receive this goal. It's who you become as you are achieving it. You can turn your setbacks into comebacks. You can learn from your mistakes. And that's what victory is all about. Amen? Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much, Vicki.
Weren't those inspiring quotes? Really, those passages should give us much hope that they, they are, God's word is true. Amen? He speaks and it happens. We just have to take hold of it by faith. And it can happen for every single one of us. Regardless of whether we are struggling with a clinical addiction or a hurt, a hang-up, a sin, all, or all of the above. God's word is still effective. Well, I am so thankful. How many of you were here yesterday? Let me just get a feel. Okay, so just a few of you who weren't here yesterday, that's perfectly fine. You're welcome to be here again with us today. Um, but uh, we are going to talk today about the recovery process. It's one thing to know what's wrong. It's another thing to then get on the right road to recovery. So we're going to talk about that, and um, I hope that we all, no matter where we are in our journey with the Lord, I hope that we all find something that we can gain and implement in our personal lives. Okay, We've got to have information that is practical and that can help change our lives. Um, just a quick reminder uh, about our website, nadhealth.org. This is where you can go to find lots of our health ministry resources. Um, this is the health ministries department for the North American Division. I do want the ladies to know that we do have, we're working, I am working with the women's ministries to have their women's convention in September of this year. The entire convention is about women's health and women's health issues. So. I'm sorry, gentlemen, I know you love women <laughs> in your lives, but we, we're not expecting you to be there, but anyone high school age and above, um, any woman is, is welcome to come. You can go to our website, to our schedule, and find out information about that. I hope to see you there. Again, also, we do have our addiction recovery program that was developed by the Adventist Church. And tomorrow afternoon, after this session, so at 3.30 p.m., we're going to actually do session one. So I invite you all to be here for that as well after tomorrow's presentation. We are having our training program for you to be able to run this program in November in Florida. So we're going to be in Florida a few times this year. Now, yesterday, after the presentation, in conversations with various people, the topic of sexual addictions and pornography came up. And so I want to let you know up front that this is not an issue that the Adventist Church is shying away from. We are taking this on, and we're dealing with it. Because quite frankly, even though we don't like to say it, it is in the church. It is in our church. And we need to talk about it. We need to bring it out, not for the purpose of crucifying the people, but for the purpose of healing. And um, it's a very, very difficult issue to talk about. It's very, the, the, the personal, emotional um, situations that come up are really, really mortifying. 
But we want those who have been victims or who are victims to know that we support you and we support, we support your recovery. And we want the victimizers to know that what they did was wrong and it's not acceptable. And we want them to be healed as well. So um, I've just put a few of the pornography addiction recovery resources that we have available. If you go to our website, nadhealth.org, or if you go to adventsource.org, you'll find many of these listed there. Uh, some of these are books. Some of these are programs that can be run at church through a video presentation. Gateway to Wholeness, this is a fairly new program developed by the GC Health Ministries, and it is an online program on pornography. So anyone who is struggling with pornography can go online in the privacy and confidentiality of their home, and rather than spending their time on their pornographic sites, go to this site and help find help. Okay, so we want people to know that, that these are real issues and we, we want whatever your hang up, we want you to find help. Okay, so please let people know about these resources. Um, just let everybody know because we don't know who's really struggling with them. Uh, we, but they know. Also, the issue of abuse, I'm going to talk about abuse later on. The issue of abuse is very strongly connected to addictions, and the Adventist Church is also dealing with this directly. Uh, we have had the Summit on Abuse for a few years, every year, um, and our next one is coming up September 4, and I they are doing a free live stream, so wherever you are, you can watch this, and you can go to the website, enditnownorthamerica.com. Dot org, and you can sign up for it free there as well. I believe you can attend live as well, but also we're encouraging you to watch it live stream and maybe even organize your church to watch it together. Very important issues, very difficult issues to talk about, but we have to. We need to. If we want real healing, deep healing, we need to talk about these issues. And, and not let them get bottled up again. Now yesterday, um, I started talking about the opioid crisis. I wanna give you just a couple slides of information on it um, to catch us up to what I wanted to share yesterday. Um, I, just because it is such a huge issue and it's coming into all of our communities. So we talked yesterday about this story that was published in the New York Times just a few weeks ago about a teenage girl living in Ohio and her mother became an opioid abuser. And um, it just completely destroyed their entire family. And now this young girl is living in a fairly unstable uh, home with her grandmother um, and really struggling about what her mother is going through and what she is going through as well. I want to share with you um, a passage from the article about the mother, okay? Because we part of what we want to do is understand what the abuser 
what the person with the addiction problem is going through, what has been their life course. So let's, I'm just gonna put this on the screen. So her mom, Nikki Hoare, by the way, was a hospice nurse. So she was a, someone with a very stable life, a stable job, family. She was married with two children, but she was secretly stealing bags of morphine and other painkillers from hospice patients who had died. So just from that one line, you, you can tell that there must have been something in her story that was troubling, that this was now what she was doing. There had to be some background to what was going on. Miss Hoare, who was 38 years old, said she stockpiled the pills at home. Her plan, she said, was to sell them around town. So apparently she didn't feel like she was stable financially. She needed to sell these pills. That changed one day when feeling overworked at, overwhelmed at work, she began dabbling in those pills. So a stressful situation occurred, and she thought, well, since I have these pills, let me just take one just to help me through the situation. Drug use was not new to her. Okay, here's a key point about, um, about drug use, about addictions in general. As a teenager, Miss Hoare said that she had snorted cocaine with who? Her parents. Her parents, as a teenager. So a couple things here. She had early exposure during her teenage years, and what was the family dynamics like so that her parents were giving her cocaine, right? Not good. So there had to be something going on in that family that was already setting her up on this negative trajectory in life. Um, in 2013, after hospice officials discovered she was over-prescribing those narcotics, those opioids, she was given a drug test, which she failed and was promptly fired. Now, what do you think that kind of event is going to do to her? Is it going to make her turn around? No, unfortunately, when you're already down that trajectory and you don't have a, another coping mechanism, you're just going to go further down, deeper. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that the, the hospital did the wrong thing. I think they, they probably did the right thing, right? This is not acceptable behavior, what she was doing. It was not in any way stealing it, over-prescribing it, planning to sell it. None of that was legal. None of it was good moral decision-making. Um, she entered outpatient rehab and stayed clean for a while. And we often see that story with people struggling with addictions. They will go through rehab and they stay clean for a little while, but unfortunately, it often doesn't last. But after losing an appeal to regain her nursing license during her daughter's freshman year of high school, Ms. Hoare said, here's another key, she what? She lost her resolve. Hopelessness sets in. I can't ever get my job back. I can't ever get my career back. I can't ever get my reputation back. Hopelessness. There's nothing else for me to do. 
and the pain and the guilt and the shame pick up. Distraught, she tracked down one of her sisters who introduced her to heroin. Another key point. The people that she's connected with, probably close to, at least family ties in this way, are the ones that are enabling this behavior and these choices. So can you see this tangled web that she is caught in? And it started with some pretty bad decisions on her part, which stemmed from a very unstable family life. And who knows what else is part of her history. But the road that she's on just takes her deeper and deeper. And this is really important to recognize that this is not unusual. This is very often the story of someone who is struggling with any kind of addiction. And so recognizing those stories is actually one of the key components to recovery. Because unless she deals with these underlying issues, actually the recovery is near impossible. So talking about opioids again. Okay, let's look at what is the problem. This is in the US. More than 100 million people suffer from chronic pain in the US. Okay, if anybody has ever had surgery or anything like that, you know what pain is. Okay, um, or other situations, you know, ill health. We know, we all know what pain is. Now, chronic pain is just the one that never doesn't go away, right? So opioids are pain relievers. They help with dealing with that pain. So 11.5 million people report misuse of prescription opioids, not illegal ones, but prescription opioids. And this is starting at age 12 and older. 12 and older, okay? Um, and doctors, this is what's also part of the alarming story is that doctors say that they are not trained well enough on how to prescribe the opioids. Who's prescribing the opioids? The doctors. The doctors are saying, I don't know how to, I don't have enough information for doing it appropriately. Do you see the problem? Okay. Um, who are the people who are using opiates long-term? Long this is another important key as we're talking about the opioid crisis because we don't want to get stuck in the trap of thinking that these are just, you know, people who have no, you know, they're, they're just going out there and buying it on the street corners, okay? Unless it's true, but let's see what the numbers tell us. The majority of people, this is a research study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation, and they found that the majority of people started prescription painkillers for medical reasons. 44% said it was chronic pain, 25% after surgery, and another 25% after an accident or injury. So the vast majority are legitimate health issues, okay? However, what these individuals told the researchers is that not that the, the physician who was prescribing the medication warned them about the addiction. 
the potential for addiction. So 75% of them said, yes, my doctor told me that there's the potential that I might become addicted. However, 61% said that there was no plan for how to then get off the opioid. Here, this is the thing about the opioid when they're prescribed for surgery, for chronic pain, for these issues, is that once you get when once you get started on them, there has to be a plan for getting off of them as well. And that plan actually has to be pretty well medically supervised because of the high risks. And if you do it too quickly, if you automatically drop it or you drop too much of it at one point, you're going to go into withdrawals. And the pain of the withdrawal can be greater than the pain that you were taking the prescription for. So you're going to get even more dependent on the drug. So unfortunately, physicians, many of them, are not really trained on what that process should be. The good news is that now there is training available. In fact, um, the CDC has, has a very nice little brochure that will help the physician know exactly how to taper off those medications. Did you have a comment? Absolutely. Working with your doctor and bringing it up. If they don't mention it, you, you have every right to bring up questions <laughs> with your physicians, with your healthcare providers. Um, just do it in a nice, respectful way. Um, I've done some clinical work. I've seen you know, how patients come in and they just want to hammer you. It's very, very difficult to work with patients like that. But when you are working with them, talking with them, most physicians will really walk you through that very gently and very carefully. So, um, so make sure that you are bringing up those conversations. Um, it, yes, absolutely. No, you don't want to completely drop it very suddenly. It's like jumping off a cliff. You don't want to jump off a cliff, right? You find the safe route down. Yeah, yes. Okay, so uh, let's keep going on. There, let, let's talk about the issue of pain because that's what opioids are for. They're there to help us with the with physical pain, sometimes the emotional pain that comes along with it. There is a cost to not treating pain, and we want to be real about this. We can't just say, well, you should never use XYZ because in some instances, you, they need it. It does help them actually in their recovery. It helps them in their healing process. You know, if someone is just riddled with pain, the quality of life, they're unable to do anything to get themselves to a better place. So pain is not, it's, this is not something that you say, well, you should just never use it. Okay, so please don't ever give anyone that information, that message. But we want to do it responsibly. And we want to make sure that we're also going to work off of it. Um, you know, a lot of the pain that drugs are used for is for cancer patients. And, you know, if you've ever known someone going through cancer treatment, it's very, very difficult. But I want to end the issue of opioids with this quote from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. It says this, God's purpose is not merely to deliver from the suffering or the pain. 
that is the inevitable result of sin. All of this is the result of sin. But his purpose is to save from sin itself. So we don't want to make the mistake of making pain the enemy. Pain is not the real problem. It's the sin that has caused the pain. And when I'm saying that, I'm not talking about your individual sin, although yes, our sins do cause pain, but also (coughs) the fact that we are living in a sinful world, a world that is sick because of sin, filled with sin, there is pain and suffering. Add to that our individual choices, our individual sinfulness, and that makes more pain. But the pain is not really the issue. God can save us from the pain, but he wants to save us from the sin, the cause, the underlying root cause of all of it. Okay. So, unfortunately, the timing of when he saves us from the sin problem is something only he knows. In the meantime, we are going to do our best to manage the pain, the suffering, with his help. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about the the recovery process now. And actually, as we transition to this, I do want to have another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, um, we thank you that you have all the saving grace that is needed for all the world. And we want to claim your promises and embrace your power and fulfill the life that you have planned for us. So be with us as we talk now about recovery and the power that you have to heal. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, recovery. Councils on Health, page 30, says this. The world is a vast Lazar house, a house of death and suffering. But Christ came to heal the sick, to proclaim deliverance to the captives of Satan. He turned away, how many? None who came to receive his healing power. And that's what this is all about. This is about Christ's healing power. He knew that those who petitioned him for help had what? Brought disease upon themselves. All we are like, we all are like sheep who have gone astray. Yet he did not refuse to heal them. So it doesn't matter the depths of our degradation. If we come to him in sincerity of heart, he will not refuse us. And when virtue from Christ entered into these poor souls, they were what? Convicted of sin, and many were healed of their spiritual disease as well as of their physical maladies. Hugely important. You know, I often say that this is what sets up, sets the Adventist Church's health programming apart from anyone else. Because everybody, lots of people out there have great health information, but they don't tie in that genuine spiritual healing. And this is what really makes the difference. The gospel still possesses the same power 
And why should we not today witness the same results? Good question, isn't it? Christ feels the woes of every sufferer, even those suffering from addictions, even those who themselves chose to go down the path of an addiction. He feels the woe of every sufferer. And he is just as willing to heal the sick now as when he was personally on earth. Christ's servants are his representatives, the channels for his working. He desires through them to exercise his healing power. So he's talking about, she's talking about here, not just the healing power that God has available, but that he wants to use us in that process. He desires through them, his servants, our representatives, the channels for his working. And this is a hugely important key when it comes to addiction recovery, is that no one recovers alone. No one recovers alone. Okay, recovery. Let's talk about what is recovery. According to the Substance Use and Mental Health Administration of the U.S. government, a process, recovery is a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. Okay, so key, first point, it's a process. Life is a process. You know, it, individuals who have an addiction did not become addicted overnight. There was a whole story behind them that led them to that point. And yesterday we talked about the five stages of addiction, that it just starts off with occasional use. That's, that's, it's a problem, but it's not something that, that is clinically an addiction. It takes a process to get there, it's gonna take a process to go back. So when individuals are struggling with their addiction, it's better that they're struggling than that, than that they're just giving in. Because the struggle means that they're actually trying to get out of it. They're actually fighting somehow. So it's a process. And they need to improve health and wellness. They, so that's the health message that we are used to talking about. Okay? Um, they need to live a self-directed life. They need to have freedom to choose. That's what self-direction is the ability to choose, and yesterday we talked about the chemical changes in the brain that takes away their ability to make sound decisions. So we need to reverse that in the brain. And they need to strive to reach their full potential, and that means their full potential emotionally, mentally, physically, socially, and also spiritually. Recovery emerges from hope. Remember the story we just read a little while ago on the opioids? The mother who pretty much lost hope when they said she couldn't have her license back? That hope plunges them into despair and seeking to, to deal with that pain. So we need to give them hope again. I don't know what greater hope there is than the gospel story. 
So we need to give them hope. It is a personal path, so it's very individual. The recovery process is very, very individual. So what may work for someone else, for one person, may not work for someone else. They need to find their personal path down that road. There are principles that will apply to everybody. We'll talk about some of those. Here's another key, um, a holistic, okay, that is what our health message is about, is very holistic, it includes the entire person, the mental, physical, spiritual, and social components of who we are. It's supported through relationships and social networks, and it must include respect for one another. Those are really important keys that we need to include in that recovery process. Um, and that's a, a, one of the big things that a lot of the recovery programs now do. This 12-step programs, social networks. You're giving them a place where they will feel supported in their recovery process. And it, they have very respectful interactions in those, in those uh, support groups. So recovery, recovery includes prevention. Okay, we need to prevent the things that cause us to go down that negative pathway. Risk reduction, changing those unhealthy behaviors to healthier ones. Isn't that what we talk about in health ministry all the time? You've got it, when you take away the bad stuff, you have to put in something positive in its place. So if the problem is pornography addiction, well, they're addicted to looking at these books or looking online. You've got to give them something that will be positive for them to see and, and to use up their time with, okay? Uh, recovery engagement means building a network, a community, again, hugely important. Having a positive community that's going to support you through this. Um, and this includes things like housing. You know, people who have really gotten to the depths of addiction have probably lost their housing, are probably living in terrible conditions, surrounded by other people who are struggling with addictions. And so we need to get them to a healthier place as well. Um, job placement. Some of the most successful recovery programs out there are employers who hire people in recovery. In fact, I know of a, um, a company, uh, there are several companies doing this now, who it was someone who themselves recovered from addiction, or they really, they, they just felt impressed that they needed to help people recovering from addictions. So they started a business and hired the people who were living in recovery houses. And um, there's one company that makes purses, women's purses, out of old material. And beautiful purses. And it's these women who are in halfway houses make these purses. They sell them for hundreds of dollars. They're handmade. And these women are now finding ways to get out of their addictive cycle. It's absolutely amazing. There's another one um, where a gentleman started a woodworking company, and he hires men who are going through recovery to make beautiful tables and chairs. And these, these men are finding that they're, they're useful again. 
that they have a sense of self-accomplishment and they're breaking the cycles. These are really powerful um, methods for, for the recovery process. So, you know, you, the old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? So give them something positive to do with their hands. And if they're able to make, you know, good, clean money out of it, it's going to help in many other ways as well. Recovery maintenance is another part of it. Uh, maintaining the state of health, hope, and respect. Now this is also huge because it gives them a feeling again of self-worth, of purpose, of reason in their life. Um, treatment can also be necessary for some people. Some people may not need it, some people do. Um, again, it's an individual path. But it's important to remember that medications don't bring recovery. Medications don't do the recovery. They support the process. They help you get to the spot where you, can, you are able to accomplish more. But they themselves are not the recovery. Also, detox programs. They support the process but they don't take care of the underlying problems. So there's some bad news about addictions. I mentioned this, we talked about it yesterday, I briefly mentioned it again. The bad news is that nearly all addictions, not just drugs, but all addictions, target the brain's reward system. We talked about this. Causes changes in the brain. The good news is that the brain is very pliable. It can be restructured. Our brains can change back again. And this is why having the medical understanding, the physiological understanding of what addiction is doing is really important because it helps us understand where they are and why they might be limited in their ability to make healthy decisions, to stay sober. It's because these pathways have just become so out of whack that they're, they, they just have no control at any, at anymore. Their power to choose, and again, we're talking about, you know, extreme cases. It took them a while to get there. They were making choices along the way, but at some point they lost the ability to make healthy choices. So we need to help that brain restructure and get back to where they can make choices again. Practicing healthy habits. We've all done this before, right? You've got it, you know you have an unhealthy habit. We all have had unhealthy habits. But once we replace them with healthier ones and we continue doing them over and over again, they get easier. It's the same thing for individuals struggling with addictions. As they practice the healthier habits and stop practicing the unhealthy ones, the healthier ones get easier to do. So for anyone who's struggling with an addiction, find a healthier habit. Get something that will distract you from those negative thoughts, negative associations, negative feelings, Find something positive to put into that space. 
So the other piece of the good news is that complete recovery is possible. Now, thank you for saying amen, Vicki. <laughs> complete recovery is possible. Amen. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> amen. Now, what the science tells us, or what the, the, the scientists tell us, is that success includes changing behavior and medications. Well, I said, okay, yeah, medications are, you know, depending on the individual circumstances, changing behavior is a necessary ingredient, but then I added power of God. Because ultimately, that's where the, the complete restoration comes from, okay? Uh, again, treatment must be tailored to each person. We want to remember that addiction is a chronic disease, meaning if you go back to some of those unhealthy habits, you're going to very likely go back into those addictive cycles again. The same is true for someone who has diabetes. If you do really well, you get your blood sugar is under control, and you're, you're, you're doing really great with your health, but then you decide to go out and splurge on donuts, what's going to happen? You're going to get back into that, that poor health. Okay, With addiction, you can't ever say, I can go, go back and do it again. You don't want to go down that road. Um, okay, the brain question. Does our brain rejuvenate? This is a picture of dopamine transporter. Now, dopamine is the feel-good hormone that your brain produces when you're doing something that makes you happy. Okay, and in the brain, the dopamine, we can track and see how it activates different parts of the brain. So in this picture, the reds, the greens, the yellows, those are the areas where the dopamine is active. And this is a healthy person. You see there's a good amount. It almost looks like a pair of lungs right there, right, in your brain. It's just a picture of where the dopamine is working. For a methamphetamine abuser, this is one month after they've stopped using meth. Do you see the difference? Not a whole lot of reds in there. Okay, there's some similarities, but still you can see it's very clearly different. This is one month after they've stopped using. Now when you look at them 14 months after they've stopped using, we're back to some reds, aren't we? And that's a good thing. So the brain has started to rejuvenate itself. It took 14 months to get back to something very similar. That's a long time that they, had to be stay, that they had to be off of it. But wouldn't it be great to see what it was like 10, 20 years down the line? So the answer is yes, the brain can recover. Now the extent to which it recovers is very individual. But the good news is that it can recover. And this is hugely important because then you're now able to get back to making those healthy choices again for yourself. So um, Vicki is going to talk more about this on Thursday, but I couldn't help but put in the gut-brain connection because this is so important. 
By the way, this gives so much validity to why we have been talking about diet and nutrition for over 150 years in the Adventist church. We're, the, we're finally getting the scientific evidence to back up what we had been saying all along. I wish we had been practicing it as well. But anyway, sorry, side story. Okay, here is a research that was published in 2017. This was done, a, a research done in rats. So it's preliminary. You don't want to draw too many conclusions, but it's some promising information. They looked at ghrelin, which is a gut hormone. It's produced in your gut, and it, it, when, when it is produced, it tells you that you're hungry and you should go eat something. Now, some of us have disordered ghrelin activity. It tells us when we're hungry, when we're really not. Okay, so we need to get our ghrelin working appropriately. But when it's go doing its job appropriately, you know when it's time to eat. So what they did was they took these mice and they, oh, you know what? Forgive me. This is not mice. This is human beings. I forgot. That was another research. They took human beings who were heavy drinkers, who had no, um, no intention to stop drinking. And what they did was they injected ghrelin into their veins through their arms. And these, when they got that ghrelin floating around in their body, they wanted more alcohol. It drove them to drink more, significantly more, than people who did not get the ghrelin. So very interesting how the hormones produced in the gut affected the behavior. And this is what we're seeing about the gut-brain connection. What happens in the gut drives a lot of the choices we make. So when you have a healthy gut, you're going to make healthier choices, healthier decisions. There, here's another, I found this uh, press release just in October 2018 about a new research that has just been funded, and I can't wait till they put out their results, about the microbiome and addictions. Now, you know about the gut bacteria, all those bacteria living in the gut? They, some of them are good bacteria, they're healthy, they do good things in your body. Some of them are not so healthy. And depending on what you eat, you have more of the healthy ones or the not healthy ones. So you want to eat the foods that are going to give you more of the healthy bacteria. And that includes things like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, a vegetarian diet that the Adventist church has been talking about for a long time. Um, this is the science, by the way, you know, just reminding us of what we already knew. So what, the, what this research group are looking at now is looking to see how the genes of those bacteria in your gut interact with the genes of our body and how they may um, promote addictions. Very interesting. By the way, we already know that the genes of the bacteria interact with our genes. That's pretty well shown in the science. Now they're looking at, well, does that influence addiction? So very interesting. Another important key is getting back to those health habits that we know about.
those lifestyle choices, they actually help promote recovery from addictions. So with our addiction recovery program, something that I encourage any church that's doing it is don't just tell people this is all you have to come to. No. If there's another church down the street running a healthy lifestyle program, tell them to go there too. Or you run a healthy lifestyle program. Get Vicki and Evelyn to come and do some healthy lifestyle teaching in your church. Get the individuals who are in the recovery process also working on their physical health, their healthy eating habits, their exercise, their sleep, and their stress management. All of those things are going to actually aid them in the process. Um, I think I'm going to skip relapse, uh, although it's good to know that relapse does happen in majority of cases, so expect it. Okay, it doesn't have to happen, by the way. This is, it does, you don't have to go through relapse. But if it does happen, don't give up. Um, here's keys to, to recover from the relapse. Recognize, you know, yes, it, it was a bad decision. I, I failed in that, but I'm not giving up the battle. Okay, important to recognize but then work again. Think of relapse as a learning opportunity. Develop coping plans, and this is where that social network really helps, is having a recovery coach, for example, a recovery mentor, um, an accountability partner who can help you back up. And remember that God gives complete freedom. Proverbs 24, 16 says, for a just man falleth, how many times? Seven times, but what? Does what? Rises up again. You know, seven is the symbolic number for what? Completion. A just person can completely fall. But the point is that they get up again. And that's the focus they rise up again. But the wicked fall into mischief, and that's period. So we want to be the ones that even if we fall, we can get back up again through the power of God. We don't have to fall. God can keep us from falling. Amen? But if we do, he is able to pick us back up. This is from Manuscript 113, published in 1898. The power of God, oh, okay, this is, this is one of my favorite quotes in the spirit of prophecy. Absolutely, you should take a picture of this one. It's so good. It's absolutely, this is, this is so key to our entire life story, okay? Whether or not we're dealing with addictions, this is so key. The power of God is the one element of efficiency in the grand work of obtaining the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. How many, how many elements are there? It's in the first line. One. There's only one element. And this is the, the power of God is the one element. It's not, it doesn't say is a one element. 
It is the one element of efficiency. It is in accordance with the divine plan that we follow every ray of light given of God. Okay, hugely important. God is the one who makes the victory, period. And it is up to us in his plan to follow every ray of light. That's part of his plan. I'm going to go to part two of this quote. So take a picture of this one too. Man can accomplish nothing without God. And God has arranged his plans. Listen, are you getting, are you paying attention? Are you awake? Okay. And God has arranged his plans so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the human with the divine. God can do it, but in his divine plan, he says, I'm not doing it without you. The condescension of God. He could do it, but he says, I want you to be part of it. And what part? Listen to this. The part man is required to sustain is immeasurably small. Yet, in the plan of God, it is just that part that is needed to make the work a success. I can't help falling in love with him when I read this. Because he says, look, I know you, you just have nothing. I mean, what you've got, what you can put into this is just nothing, really. But guess what? I'm not doing it without it. I'm not doing it without you. Because I want you to know what your potential is. I want you to know where I can lift you up to. And I'm going to do it. Come with me. Christ's first words to his disciples were, come and see. I think we probably have to stop here. Um, tomorrow's presentation, I want to talk about how addictions is very relevant to an end-time church. We'll touch on the issue of the moral mor morality issue of addictions, but we're going to make it really, really practical. So I don't know in this room what your life stories have been, but God does. He knows where you've been. He knows what the struggles have been. He knows the pains. He knows those things that are still gnawing at each one of us. And he says, those things are small in compared to what I'm going to do in your life. He, he not only wants to do it, he can do it. And he says, just come with me, and I'll show you how. And he's going to walk with us that entire journey. So I want to pray as we close for each one of you 
This prayer is specifically for you. And I pray that, I hope that, you know, take some time um, in your quiet time just to talk to God about it. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, Lord, we are just these little things on this little planet, just kind of roaming around in this massive universe. But Lord, you put so much importance on me that you sent your son here to live a life of victory, to show me what can happen when the human and the divine is, is together. And Lord, you then sent the Holy Spirit. And you said that he will be with you everywhere. And Lord, you also promised that we have guardian angels surrounding us. What more can we do? What more can we ask for? And then, Lord, you said, I'm sending my church. I'm sending my human representatives to be as lights in the world. And we don't know how you can make light out of these broken things, but you said it, and so we're going to accept it. And we thank you, Lord, that in my life, in the life of everyone here, you're still working, and you're still reclaiming us, and you're giving us that power to go day by day. Father, eternal victory is at the door. It's almost here. We pray that you will now give us the strength for our days. And we thank you because your word is sure and great is your faithfulness. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.